Hi, this is Posey Parker, and you're listening to Catholic versus Atheist. So just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, if you would please, who you are, what you believe, and how you came to believe what you believe. Okay, so I'm Posey Parker. I'm a 45-year-old stay-at-home mother of four children. I live in the United Kingdom in the southwest in a sort of rural town type setting. And my strong belief currently, which is causing controversy, is that I believe men cannot transition into becoming women and that biological sex is immutable. And so I've arrived at this uh, obscure belief just by being on the earth 45 years and it being a commonly held belief amongst humans since we had the ability to speak. Uh, And uh, it's now being challenged that actually uh, because there are some men that think they're women, uh, although that is an arguable position, and there are some women that think they're men, and those people are also uh, indoctrinating children into this nonsense, uh, it's now become a controversial thing to say, absolutely not, no way, I'm not having it. Yeah. If you would just talk a little bit about your childhood, how you were raised, if there was any religion in the home, or if you were raised by atheist parents, any sort of trend uh, in terms of ideas that you were exposed to as a very young child, please. Okay. So I was raised in an atheist household. My mother was a lapsed Catholic Uh, My mother had gone to a convent school and then my mother and father had got married at 17 and 18 and are still married. And so in the absence of religion in my house, it wasn't really replaced because my parents were working class and young, well read, but not particularly political. So I guess the philosophy in my house was very much do unto others. So, you know, we live in a social Christian culture. So much of my morality and I guess it was a Christian upbringing without the Christianity. So my my school was a Christian school because all schools, state schools in the United Kingdom are Christian and that's certainly dissolved over the last few years but we did our nativity, we prayed in assembly. I was very much against that so I didn't pray in assembly when everyone else did. I wasn't disrespectful but I just didn't pray and I just think it, it was just quite normal that you're, you're just a, a decent human and you have respect for adults. And I think I was very lucky to be born in 1974 when children were still very much allowed to be children and adults were adults and there was a very clear distinction between the two. So th- that's the interesting thing, I think, nowadays, that once the invention of pink plastic was a commercial thing that you could advertise to children and you could make things very boys and girls, I think the separation between what we're allowed to like, whether you're male or female, became really acute in the sort of 90s and the and the 2000s. Because in 1974, I had a garage. My favourite toys was my Weetabix car, which I collected with tokens from a cereal packet. And my toys, if I had any, and I didn't have a great deal, I did really like Cindy, which is like a Barbie, although she did have normal body proportions, so it's a bit different. Uh, but my, you know, Cindy's car was a red Range Rover. And my till, so my shop cash register, was brown with yellow buttons. So we didn't, we hadn't had this very pink, feminine, pretty stuff forced upon us as children in the 1970s and 80s, I think. I think we were very lucky. So I'm 
I'm quite a, a confrontational, strong, resilient woman, but I also present, you know, I wear makeup and I've got bleach blonde hair and, and I like to look attractive and I also have fake nails and so on. And I think that where we went wrong with the sexes is we try to pretend that they're the same and we can't possibly know really without society whether we'd be the same or different. But if you look right through sort of mammals, it's important that the sexes have different roles. However, I do think as social creatures, we need to be very careful that those observations don't become expectations. So, for example, I've got three boys and a girl, and I think that each of them should be able to do whatever job they want. However, I will also say if I was in a burning building and I was four stories up, I'd rather a strapping great big man came up the stairs to rescue me because I know that that man is likely to be stronger than a woman doing it. So my my idea about the sexes these days is that we went wrong with motherhood. We decided that motherhood wasn't that important and actually in order for women to be equal in the world, even mothers should have the capacity to earn as swiftly as possible once she's had babies. And I really do think that that is not a very nice thing for either the mother or the newborn baby. But I think there are, I, I quite like the differences sometimes between myself and my husband, but they won't be the same differences in every household between a man and a woman. Like my husband's amazing at cooking. He's far more tactile than I am, but he is, you know, twice my size and I'm better at DIY. <laughs> I'm much better at DIY than him. So I don't know. I think there's a good argument to say that socialization has a great deal to play in everything, but I, I don't believe that we are created exactly equal because we have different roles, especially when it comes to newborn babies, which essentially is what the human race is supposed to do, and that is to procreate and continue the race. And I don't mean that moralistically, that if you don't have children, then your life has no purpose. I just mean that stepping back, way back from individuals and their situations, you know, that every species on this earth is supposed to continue. I do often ask my guests about the left-right split. It's very prominent in US politics. It's everywhere, the left-right dichotomy. Can you just talk a little bit about how your feminism, if you're comfortable calling yourself a feminist, I don't know about that, but uh, how your feminism falls on the spectrum and if it has moved from left to right or from right to left over the years, please? Well, two things. One, I no longer identify as a feminist um, and I use identify and uh, with a very heavy heart because I really have begun to loathe that word. I think it's positively meaningless and overused. But I used to call myself a feminist because I believe in the liberation of women and all these ethereal words that actually don't mean very much like the patriarchy and so on. And so I don't call myself a feminist anymore. And that will mainly be because I, I don't think feminist really means anything because somebody who's pro-prostitution will call themselves a feminist also. So I avoid that and call myself a women's rights campaigner. For my whole life, up until three years ago, I was a paid-up member and voting on the left. So I voted for the Labour Party. And I voted for the Labour Party because they believe in investing in education. They believe in investing in our health service um, and public services and helping the most needy. However, with good conscience, I could never vote for that party again until they accept 
that what they've done to women by not allowing definitions in law and trying to eradicate what it means to be a woman in law and socially um, I couldn't with good conscience vote for them but there is nobody else to vote for anyway so in the United Kingdom you have the Conservative Party which you know people vote Conservative because they think they're more trusted with money and actually you can say all the right things to all the right people about helping them but if you've got no money in the kitty you can't adhere to any of those promises so that would be somebody that voted conservative and we have the silliness of sort of saying if you vote Tory then you must hate the poor and all those things that go along with these divisions in politics and then the Liberal Democrats are just not worth voting for and the Greens I would never vote for uh, the Green Party so that's you know that's where we are and feminism you know I've had a lot of arguments with feminists who seem to think that feminism belongs in the left and I actually think it is above politics party politics I think party politics are small fry when it comes to the way globally women are treated uh and the different sort of routes of attack so we'll get the misogynist attacks from the left which are that women can be um, sex objects, can be sold for money, their bodies can be exploited, they can be in sexual slavery, um, they can be surrogates for people who want to rent their wombs, and also that they don't really exist. That's, you know, at the moment, that's the misogyny coming from the left, that anybody who says that a woman can be a woman. And then the misogyny from the right is not the same as it is in the United States. So we don't really have a very large group of people on the right who want to stop women's reproductive rights which is routinely sort of accused to be on the right even though I know people who are Catholic and very much on the left who can't with good conscience ever agree that women could have a termination. So I think at the moment I think left and right are very not, are not very useful when it comes to the work that I'm doing and I'm trying to get my message out to all women and men and children that what is happening is is really scary and it's way too important to involve it in the minutiae of whether or not it's a left or right political view. What do your opponents and enemies say to critique you? What's the most damning argument that they use against you? Meaning, are there any areas where you need to improve? No. I'll just be really honest with you. Saying that women don't have penises and that you shouldn't mutilate children's bodies, there is no good argument to oppose it. So the arguments will be that I'm a white supremacist or a Nazi, um, that I'm a bigot, that I'm right wing. You know, anybody who says that you shouldn't transition children is automatically accused of wanting transgender children, which I personally think is an oxymoron in the first place. Those two words do not go together under any circumstances. Um, and they will say that, you know, if you don't think a girl in America should have a double mastectomy at 14, then you're a, a Nazi and a bigot. So I would really welcome some good arguments, but they always seem to be a concoction of lies and emotion and baseless accusations. I'm in a tricky situation as a Catholic when I talk to or interview a so-called transgender person. I want to love and respect this person as a human being, and I want to be sensitive to the fact that they are very deeply wounded emotionally, psychologically. Uh, but at the same time, I can't pretend that I'm okay with their agenda, whether it's consciously their agenda, or whether they're just a little pawn in a very big game. Because you have to remember that from my Catholic perspective, there's a spiritual battle taking place, good against evil, and there are precious souls on the line. God wants your soul, but so does Satan, and there, there's a big game of chess. So I want to be sensitive to them as human beings, but I don't want to cede any ground 
So you can't really give me advice from a religious perspective, but just in terms of a diplomacy perspective, how would you recommend that I navigate that where I can stay firm, but still be loving? I think the ultimate act of love and compassion for a fellow human is not to indulge in something that ultimately causes them great harm. You know, the the lie that they eventually will become whatever it is in their mind's eye they think they are heading towards, that day's never coming. You know, I'm an atheist from birth, um, and I've always felt that as an atheist, there is no place in which I'm going to find God. You would probably disagree. But because I think it's something that needs to embed in uh, in an infant brain. And I don't mean that disparagingly as if you have to be a child and babyish. I don't mean any of that. I just mean that some of these really deeply held beliefs are more easy if you're young and if your life has always been part of that belief system. But I must say, some of the language when I do hear Thea speak about this, like Sodom and Gomorrah, you sort of think, well... More than anything I've encountered, I do think this fundamental attack on what it means to be a man and a woman is more an existential crisis and something that that can only belong in some sort of heaven and hell situation. Nothing else makes sense. Mm. It's very dramatic. It's really dramatic. It's, it's great. Do you know the Catholic diocese where I live? So we're, we're under the Clifton diocese. They pump this nonsense out in their schools that transgender is a thing. Really? Yeah. Well, Pope Francis has spoken out against it. People think he's so far left, but uh, yeah, the church's teaching is very clear. There are, there are you know, pro-choice Catholics and there are Catholics who uh, want uh, women priests and stuff like that, and that is strictly forbidden. And uh, that's no offense intended to the women out there. I mean, the, the highest human ever created is a woman. It's the Blessed Virgin Mary. So there's no um, basis for attacking the church on the grounds of being anti-woman or whatever. But um, I want to get your perspective on so-called homosexuality. What's your perspective on that? I think consenting adults are free to do whatever they like, um, as long as it's not hurting anyone and I don't have to indulge or participate in it. Yeah, that's the church teaching. But the church teaching is also that you are hurting yourself if you engage in homosexual activity. But do you have many allies that are coming onto your side of the battle? And uh, who are some of the heroes in uh, the culture at large that you can look up to in terms of uh, fighting the good fight for, well, not only women's rights, but uh, men's rights too? Um, Well, there's not many, actually, and most of them are unknown because anybody speaking out against this is uh, not given a platform. So in Canada, we've got Megan Murphy. She's a good friend of mine, and she's fighting very much, fighting the good fight on behalf of women and the vitriol she receives from the Canadian press and the trans activists in Canada is disgusting. The only answer to that is that the Canadian press seem to really hate women quite a lot. In America, we have an organization called WOLF, the Women's Liberation Front, and they are doing the really gritty hard work of taking things to the Supreme Court and making challenges in law to try and protect women's rights, because in America, they're trying to get rid of any women's rights by saying that anybody can become a woman just by saying so. And then in America, you also have the Kelsey Coalition. Journalists in America that are absolutely on point on this. There's Madeline Kearns, who's a Catholic working at the National Review. 
she's doing phenomenal work. She's just been on Ben Shapiro's show, so I'm hoping that she's going to get picked up a little bit. You know, she's already fantastic, but it'd be good if some of the mainstream podcasts and media start talking to her. Then you've got Brandon Showalter, who writes for the Christian Post. He's doing some groundbreaking work. Uh, Over in the UK, you've got some journalists. Douglas Murray has just written something. But there are no real heroes in this movement that are well known that I can look up to because they're also very flawed. So they might do some great work and then say that they don't want to work with anybody on the right, which then just eradicates 50% of the women that, that need their help and input and their kids. You know, are we saying that right wing children, children born into right wing families deserve to transition because their parents having to vote for right wing political parties? It's crazy. And I think it's worse from what I know, and I don't I don't know this for sure, from my feeling is the left are far more frightened by contamination from the right than the right is from the left. Yeah, it's not productive, and uh, I don't know how we're going to get beyond it. And go back to what you said at the very beginning of this interview, which is that uh, your position is a common sense position with respect to something that is as obvious as the nose on your face, Yeah, you know, in terms of uh, there are two sexes. Do you use words like gender and do you use words like Z or uh, these different pronouns? Uh, are, Good do you, gracious, no. Do you cater to uh, people's demands in that way at all? Absolutely not. No. I won't lie. Do you work around it or do you um, sort of, as they would say, throw it in their face? If somebody was genuinely vulnerable, and I don't believe most of these men are, the way they talk about vulnerability is part of the fetishization of victimhood and what it means to be a woman, which for them means to be a vulnerable flower that everybody needs to pander to. And I wouldn't say that is the, the, the experience of being a woman, but I think that's part of the fetish. And I think most of them are autogynophiles, which is um, fetishizing about the embodiment of being a woman and, and you fall in love with yourself and lust with yourself as a woman. Um, and most of them want to find their route to that through a certain sort of pornography. So I may use they if I absolutely had to, if I really felt that it was not going to serve a purpose for me. So I was recently on the national TV and there was a man next to me who called himself a woman and I had to refer to him once in the third person. So I've referred to him as they, but it did make me pause because I would have used he normally. Yeah, I saw that. I actually watched that. It was a British uh, sort of news show. Yeah, it's called This Morning. It's quite a big sort of magazine. It's one of the most watched daytime shows. It's a magazine show in the morning. There was quite a bit of pressure on you to cave, but you, uh, you, you held your ground. But I could see the pressure on your face that you were outnumbered there. Yeah. Yeah. It's when you're in that situation and you're sat next to a man who the week before, not the person who called themselves a woman, so the host, the week before, had basically said to someone who who was a victim of rape that maybe next time they'll take a taxi home. So you know very much that he's fully aware of what a man is and what a woman is. And then he's sat there and he's gaslighting you and he's telling you that you're unkind for saying that a woman is an adult human female. And his wife sat next to him, you know, the three of them trying to talk about this poor, vulnerable man who's now a woman and how terrible it is and not addressing any of the issues like the fact that in England, a policeman can intimately search a woman's body as long as that policeman says he's female. 
you know, these are really terrible consequences of this stupidity. And these three people, the hosts especially, are just sat there pretending that they don't really know why I'm even in opposition to this is just insane. Can you talk a little bit about the controversial billboard? I've never seen it, but I, I heard uh, I heard it thrown around that you had arranged for some sort of billboard or something like that. Is that true? I did. So uh, last year in the summer, I with my friend um, Venice Allen, who's probably actually one of my heroes in the movement, and Dr. Julia Long, I sort of said to Venice, we need to get to the what is the absolute centre of this entire debate? What is it? What is the thing that we're going to lose that there's something central and I was like well came up with the fact that it's the word woman meaning the dictionary definition it's a very neutral thing it's a fact and so what we did in black with white writing is we put woman and then underneath the phonetic woman and the noun adult human female and we put that up on a billboard in Liverpool near the left-wing Labour Party conference and the idea was that the trans activists would get so cross and they would make a real fuss and it would really show up the fact that this really is a war on women. Uh, and that's exactly what they did. And more frightening than them making a fuss, because that was predictable, was the fact that the billboard company took it down. On what basis? Uh, because it was transphobic and they should have worked out when they got the copy that it was a transphobic message. The dictionary definition of woman. And they put a big statement out about it and yeah it was sort of um accused of being hate speech wow so are there other uh if you'll forgive the word are there other stunts that you have in mind for the future um i've also lit up i put the dictionary definition in lights all over the national gallery uh, we did the royal opera house the bbc uh, I've done a protest outside of Stonewall, which is like an LGBT organization, which is basically all about the tea. And we did one and a half meter by one meter boards of the post-surgical pictures. So the when a girl has a phalloplasty, when a girl wants to make a pretend penis, she gets the entire forearm, of her, so all the skin of her forearm gets removed. And then what they do is they replace that forearm skin with thigh, skin from the thigh. So they take a graft from the thigh and then they patch it up because the thigh is more hairy. And so that appendage never works. And I read about one girl having 31 corrective surgeries because part of the complication was urinating out of a different orifice, getting numerous infections, having a stoma bag or a colostomy bag, I don't know what you call it, you know, not being able to sort of have a bodily function. She was in hospital for over a year. And so we put some of these, not really, not, they were graphic, but they weren't the sort of, they weren't the genitals basically, because that would that would just been too obscene. But we put big boards outside of this sort of teacher conference, because obviously our education system is being coerced and, um, and manipulated to teach this to children. So I've done that. I, I think stunts in the future... I don't know, because it's only worth doing a stunt if the media pick it up. You know, they picked up the billboard. Um, they picked up the fact that I wasn't allowed to put my message on buses in Edinburgh, in Scotland, and that John Lewis, uh, so Waitrose, quite a posh supermarket, wouldn't put their, the billboards outside. So they've done that. I don't know. I, I guess 
I just have to keep trying to find things to do until everybody knows about it because the more people that know what's going on, I think they'll oppose it. What sort of budget have you had and uh, where do you get your money? I get my money from people buying T-shirts and stickers. So what that enables me to do is to not really be accountable. So I don't have to tell anybody or ask anyone's permission because most of them buy a T-shirt and I make sort of three pounds from the sale of a T-shirt. And so that sort of builds slowly. And sometimes people donate. If you run something like this and you ask for donations and people kind of feel like it's their money that you're spending. But when you sell a T-shirt, two things happen. Number one, you advertise your message every time somebody wears that T-shirt. So it becomes, I've had people write to me and say that they met somebody else with a T-shirt and they had a chat or people have approached them to ask them about the T-shirt and what it means. So it's absolutely, I'm so proud of this idea of sticking this message on a T-shirt and stickers because it just becomes a conversation and a billboard in its own right. And then, you know, some of the bigger stunts, like when you illuminate something that costs about £4,000, So the money comes, it gets spent, it pays for me to do my traveling because I have four children, I don't really have a spare budget to do all this activism. It's enabled me to buy sort of podcasting type equipment and cameras and the budget's not been massive and it's difficult to quantify because actually I have to buy a large stock of t-shirts and then hope they sell. So it's difficult to quantify just because it gets spent very quickly. Are there ex-trans that come on board with your campaign? Has that ever happened? Or is that something that you can envision happening in the future? There are people um, that have detransitioned or even have transitioned that support what I do. But I run this very much. I have two advisors. uh, One, my friend, Venice, who... She's so brilliant when it comes to how the public perceive things because I'm a bit like, I want to do this, I'm going to do it, and I do it. Uh, And sometimes she'll be the person to say, it's not quite advisable. I don't think that's going to get the response you think you're going to get. So she's fantastic. And so I don't participate too much in collaborations or committee stuff because I think a that hinders what you want to do often because if you start trying to get approval from everybody you don't get anywhere very fast and also I just like doing things quickly you know what I do is very conscience-based so I don't think I can stop doing this now because I can't unsee what I know I can't unknow it and I have met parents in Washington whose children have been lost to this cult, who have had double mastectomies and radical hysterectomies and think their parents are hateful because they don't want them to mutilate their bodies. And I, I can't walk away from it and I can't ask anyone's permission. So I do prefer to do most of what I do on my own. But what is more uplifting is I'll get an email from somewhere right in the middle of a red state in America who can't talk to anybody about this or or rather a a very woke state or town their kids have to go to school and they they have to share locker rooms and their church is all pro-trans and the new you know someone's just recently come in and done a whole big lgbt inclusion at their church and their community centers and so on and they they feel like they're going mad because they think something that nobody else does that 10 years ago everybody thought the same and then they'll watch one of my videos or they'll hear about me somehow and they'll write to me and you can feel it in their words 
that they're so relieved that they're not insane, that actually they're not the only person in the world that thinks that women don't have penises and it's wrong to transition children. And I get loads of letters like that. And maybe I'll publish them and, and redact some of the details because sometimes it makes me very chilled. I, I don't have many experiences where I feel sort of an overwhelming uh, sense of sadness or fear or whatever. When they took the billboard down, I, I did feel very frightened because it was real, because it wasn't just some silly people on social media. This was a large profiteering corporation that decided that my message was against the interests of their profits, which that that worried me. And, and it happened again to me today when I saw a girl, she was in a car and she was crying because she'd gone and used a urinal for the first time. And the elation on her face about being able to use the urinal. And I just thought, I can't imagine that nobody realizes that's really messed up, that somebody has pinned so much on doing something that actually really is physically impossible and won't last. She won't be able to, you know, her her fake appendage won't last sort of a decade. I'm sure she'll have numerous complications and may live to regret it. I interviewed a very controversial Protestant Christian gentleman by the name of Bill Watcott. He's been sued uh, multiple times. Uh, he's had to pay 15000 to a transgender person that I interviewed recently, Morgan Auger. Do you see any overlap in terms of the sort of activism or uh, do you think it's uh, apples and oranges? Whatever your view on homosexuality, it's not really any of your business what two people do in the bedroom behind closed doors, as far as I'm concerned, that will go for any sort of sexuality. As long as they're consenting adults, I don't think it's anybody's business. However, once you start marching up and down the road, it's not just saying we would like equal rights, but it's saying, look at what we want to do to each other and look at our fetish, which must be, if I was a gay man and I, I wasn't into sort of those sorts of things, I'd be really annoyed that actually my entire community was being painted as some sort of fetishy perverts. So I've heard of Bill. Um, more interestingly, I've heard of Morgan, who is a typical abusive man. He's a really horrible, misogynist, vile man. Uh, and he has way too much power. And Trudeau is an idiot. <laughs> Trudeau is, is, he's like the guy that was really good looking at school and then got old. And he's still trading on the fact that he was a good looking guy at school. Is he Catholic? <laughs> well, he can't be Catholic when he's constantly forcing drag queens in people's faces. My children went to a Catholic school. We were very fortunate they went to a Catholic school when we lived in Bristol, which is a larger city, and we can't get them in here. But there's something about Catholicism and most decent religions, and that's it's a trade, and you have to kind of do the good stuff in order to be part of that community. So, you know, I, and I know that Catholics are humans as well, and they've done terrible, terrible things, and and there are great people and bad people, and and so on. But I thought the the goal of of wanting to be part of the community and and the um, community of the church and the kingdom of Christ is that actually you you do have to work towards it, right? You can't just say it. Yeah, you put your money where your mouth is for sure. Yeah. <laughs> he seems far too conceited to have ever I can't imagine him bowing his head to pray can you I don't know I really don't know him I just know that he's pro-choice and this is an issue of course that you 
you're on his side, not on my side. But uh, even if you're not a vegetarian, I think you can see the hypocrisy in someone that claims to be a vegetarian while gorging themselves 24-7 on meat, right? Look, I used to think it was just a purely anti-woman position to force a woman to have a baby. But if you think that that baby is put there by God, you can't really have any other position than pro-life, surely. Because it's not yours. It's a gift from God. So it would be nonsensical to then be pro-choice, wouldn't it? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Are you still in touch with some friends from uh, primary school, high school, and uh, what do they make of your activism? So I sort of met my husband when I was quite young, and most of my friends at school were male. So I don't see many of them. But my older friends, they just agree with me, and they think it's great. I mean, by hook or by crook, and certainly not by any purpose – I've become one of the most known people, probably globally, who are fighting against this stuff. And that will include things like uh, the safeguarding of children in schools. And so you can't really oppose that. There's not many people that can uh, then really can defend teachers talking about masturbation to primary school kids. That's quite indefensible, no matter where you are on the woke spectrum. Scary, scary stuff. We're living in uh, dangerous times. Uh, from a Catholic perspective, it's, uh, it's it's really devastating. What do you make of this men's rights movement or whatever it's called? I'm not into it, obviously, but what's up with it? Is there anything good in there or is it just a bunch of trash? I expect there are some good things in it. I expect if the men's rights activists were talking about male suicide and trying to change the way men deal with their problems, I think it would be a really valiant exploit. However... I have yet to have any more than a few sentences of a conversation with someone calling themselves a men's right activist that didn't make me think they just really, really hated women. Okay. Have you heard about the pickup artist movement? Is that connected? (laughs) Yeah. What a sad little man. You know, these things don't happen in a vacuum. You can't have somebody trying to sell this idea of a quick way to get a woman if we didn't live in the culture and the society in which we live, which is a transactional often vacuous situation you know we've we've told women that their sexuality is the same as men's Uh, we've told men that their sexuality is is all about trying to get as much from a woman as quickly as you possibly can when it comes to sex and I don't think either one of those situations is very healthy in the long term so nobody does well from that a pickup artist maybe he gets to sleep with a hundred women in a year or or five thousand whatever it is but at the end of it I don't think they're a happier more content human I think he might need some reconstructive surgery on his appendage at that point (laughs) <laughs> yeah, probably. Well, it's just, you know, if if you constantly do something casually and frivolously, then when you do it with meaning, it no longer has the meaning you want it to. Mm-hmm. There's a Canadian by the name of Gian Gameshi. Have you heard about a controversy a few years ago surrounding him? Who's he? I have no He's idea. A, he was a radio DJ, charismatic, uh, good looking, apparently. He got the ladies, but he liked it rough. And uh, it, when the story broke uh, that some of the women were not happy more and more women started coming forward. Yeah, he smashed me against the wall and I said no and he just kept going and uh, he uh, he got in a lot of hot water and uh, my opinion was not very popular among my friends. I said, well, these women, if they were 
Catholic, then they would find a nice Catholic boy and there would be no sex before marriage and it would avoid a lot of these problems. And my atheist friends obviously found that rather a silly and useless uh, fantasy when faced with the reality that most women today are experimenting with sexuality uh, in their early teens, if not before their teens at uh, 11, 12 years old. And uh, it's a reality that we can't just uh, wish away. We don't live in a Catholic society. so It would have been better, really, if he'd been a Catholic. Yeah, that would have solved all the problems. But my point was that um, if you play with fire, you're going to get burnt. On some level, they like danger. They like taking a risk. And uh, with this particular guy, they got burnt. Uh, is that a fair assessment or no? Two things. One, I think we have to separate acts of criminal abusive behavior. Yeah. And that, even if you put yourself in the way of that, still isn't your fault if it happens. It's just like you, I would advise, you know, if, if I was out with some friends and then my friend was talking to a really charismatic man and I got the feeling from him that he wasn't all that he was cracked up to be, then of course I would say to her, don't go home with him. But if she still did and something happened to her, I wouldn't say, well, you shouldn't have gone home with him. But I get it. I, I think in some of these situations, like the whole Me Too thing, I think in some of the situations, it's a very fine line between victim blaming and taking responsibility. So it's not my responsibility if somebody else does something bad to me. But I do have to have the responsibility that there are bad things and bad people in the world. So I have to ensure that I make my decision making is very risk averse when it comes to putting myself in harm's way, which is why I've never been a victim of, of anything because I, I really don't put myself in harm's way. But you still can't blame anybody but the perpetrator of a crime if a crime happens. Um, I should just state for the record that I don't think that this man did anything wrong according to his worldview or that he did anything wrong according to the laws in Canada. I think he just likes rough sex. And I don't know what your history is like with sex, but I mean, I've been in situations where the woman wanted me to beat her up and I said no, because it doesn't do anything for me. You know, there's a lot that goes on behind closed doors, right? We live in a world called Pornland. That's why. And all of our boundaries and sensitivities and accept it. We're no longer, and I, I use we as somebody who doesn't watch porn, but we live in a society now where it's almost, it's normalized that you are injured or hurt or that that's what happens in sex. Like I went to Thailand and the, the place I went to in Thailand, we didn't know it at the time, but it's like the pedophile capital of Thailand for a start. But it was also, it was absolutely brimming with Russian and Western men with oafish, vile, awful. Oh, they were just so horrible. You could feel the misogyny as you walk past. And I say that knowing that I probably sound silly, but you could feel it. And, and, and I kept my children very close and I stayed very close to my husband because I didn't feel very secure and it, it was just horrible and the way the women were laughing and the way the men were laughing it was very much about it described the power very very clearly um and you knew that many of these women you know were not in a happy situation and probably being paid for their company and that sort of place is what happens when men don't have successful relationships with women, and I mean mothers, sisters, daughters, wives, because those men were acting in a way where they had no gatekeeping to the absolute destructive behavior that I think men are capable of. And I say that not really believing that men are terrible humans any more than women. It's just that men are much more controlled by their sexual urges, whether that's nature, 
or nurture, whether that's how we socialize men to be or whether they're born that way, I can't possibly tell you. And I don't have that in my house because I married a fully fledged grown up who doesn't hate women. But there is something about the female in a social grouping that makes it a much better place to be. Mm-hmm. There was someone who left a nasty comment to me on YouTube. So I responded and I asked him if he was a compulsive masturbator. And my spell checker on Chrome underlined the word masturbator. So I thought I spelled it wrong. So I typed it in to a Google search masturbator. And the first link, okay, the first thing that came up, and I don't look at porn, I don't look at anything disgusting on the internet since my conversion in 2009. And the first thing that came up was amazon.com. And I thought, why is masturbator giving me a link to amazon.com? I mean, I buy a lot of books on amazon.com. Why does the word masturbator give me a link to Amazon? So I clicked on it. And uh, I do regret it. But I just want to share what I saw. Young teenage girls lying on their stomach, pulling down their panties. These are uh, dolls, by the way. I'm talking about uh, silicon lifelike dolls with their uh, behinds arched up slightly to arouse the purchaser of this product. And uh, they were surprisingly cheap. Um, But uh, I really want to contact the manufacturer of that and find out how many of these do you sell? And can we please have like a public list of people that buy this? And I can't believe that when I shake hands with a businessman, he might have had his hands on this young girl's plastic behind the night before. I'm disgusted. I mean, I'm more disgusted by myself because I was a sick masturbator myself for many years before my conversion. And by the grace of God, I don't masturbate anymore. I don't look at porn anymore by the grace of God. I'm no one to look down my nose at anyone. I can guarantee you that. But uh, having seen the light, it is rather disgusting and disturbing to see the lifelike products that are being sold on Amazon. What's your comment on that? Uh, Well, the free market does enable the most atrocious actions, doesn't it? But how is that legal to have what is obviously a very young girl with her Catholic girl skirt hiked up and her little lace panties pulled down around her knees? And this is a full-size doll, but there's no torso. I'll tell you how it's legal. It's legal because ultimately there are many paedophiles in positions of power. And it's big money. Child trafficking can cause wars, as far as I'm concerned. I think there are things, there are situations in this world created to enable people to extract children. So I think the global market of children for sex is too big for us even to imagine without weeping every night as we try and sleep. But that's that's <laughs> to end on a positive note. That's uh, you know uh, I I I do think that at the beginning and end of this world there are some pretty evil people and uh, they are very very powerful. But I I have to go and collect my husband from the train station. <laughs> okay okay okay. Do you have one minute left to say the final thought? Because I, I at the end of my interview I do ask the guest to leave the final thought, just a little positive message of hope, something cheery and bright. Uh, So what do you think you might be able to say to anyone that's out there listening now? That with all good conscience, everybody knows what is right and wrong. And we all have the power to actually live by what we know is right and wrong. 
And we don't need anybody else to validate our opinion on what is right and wrong because we have our conscience to rely on. That's it. If you like your worldview, if you think it's swell, if you've got some questions, ask me and I'll tell. All you've got to do is ask. All you've got to do is ask.